one sat alone beside the highway begging his eyes were blind the light he could not see he clutched his old rags and shivered in the shadows then jesus came and bade his darkness flee it's time to open the word once again with evangelist lester roloff on the family altar program for all is changed when jesus comes to stay the book of isaiah i saw something in the book of isaiah the ninth chapter uh, in a different way in the ninth chapter of the book of isaiah verse 2 the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Now you wonder where that's going to come from. He said, for unto us is born, a child is born, unto us a son is given. For God so loved the world that he gave his son and his only begotten son. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. There's not a period there, but I'm going to just sort of slow down a minute and run over that again. You wonder why we can't get victory and have peace and our nation is in such an uproar? i tell you what you got to do. Go figure out whose shoulders the government's on. Then you got to figure it out. That's all you got to do. It don't take a lot. Of, you have to go to college to do that. Just what kind of men do we have at the helm tonight running this thing? Do they cuss? Do they drink? Do they live in sin? Do they respect Jesus Christ? Just find out. Don't blame God for this mess we're in. We've been getting worse ever since we took the government off of his shoulders. But I got news for you, buddy. The government's going back on his shoulders one of these days. As the man said, he's going to put on his war clothes and come on back. But brother, I tell you, he's going to give us something to chew on here now. And then we're going over in the New Testament and find us a text. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. There ain't no more. I just talked about all of them there is, right there. They just won the Mighty God. Oh, don't worry about how God's coming out. He's in good shape tonight. God is not taking in the nerve in. Brother, when he sent his son Jesus Christ, he didn't send him to the psychiatrist. He sent him to Golgotha. God knew how he was coming out. And Brother Jesus knew how he was coming out. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, that's good, isn't it, to have a permanent father. I tell you, when you grow up and you hang on to your earthly father and he holds your little old hand and carries you across the street and he ties your shoes for you, you know, and fixes your meals and lets you sit on his knee and his lap and lets you ride up there, you know, on the cultivator with him, you know, and 
get up in the wagon, and he said, here, son, hold the reins, hold the lines a little bit. And, and, you, and, and after a while, I mean, you get up bigger, you know, and he begins to buy you clothes, and then he begins to support you and send you off to college. And he said, son, if you need dad, just call me, you know, and I'll come and just sign your name, H.A. Uh, Roloff by Lester. And if we got any money in the bank, you'll get it. And if we haven't, they'll tell me about it and we'll put it in there. I'm going to, and listen, and when one day, when one day you go home and you see your daddy, your father, your earthly father laying in a box and he can't talk anymore and he can't reach out with that old bunion hand and grip my old hand and say, son, I'm glad to see you. And uh, he can't write any more checks and he can't come and help me anymore, brother, the everlasting Father. I got me one that's everlasting now. Never will go in a casket. God wouldn't fit in anybody's casket. They couldn't build a casket big enough or strong enough to hold my everlasting Father. They tried to put my elder brother in one. <laughs> he come out of it on the third day. <laughs> He tore it up coming out of it, broke the Roman seal and cracked the rock and stood out and 16 soldiers fell back like dead men. That's my big brother. Ah, listen, I tell you again, we don't have anything to worry about. The everlasting father, the prince of peace. Didn't say a prince, the prince of peace. How the increase of his government and peace, there should be no end. Where? Upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, and upon his kingdom ordered it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. All right. Turn with me, please, now for our text. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. We continue. I want to speak tonight on greater love. Greater love. The reason we've got war going on, they don't have love. The reason we've got broken homes, they don't have love. I've seen other homes shattered. Look like they didn't consider the little children. You reckon how many real old-fashioned family altars they had? Praying daddies, godly mothers. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. He didn't stop there. And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places. Where? In Christ Jesus. What a privilege. Why? That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. John chapter 15 and verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You know what the Christian life is? It's just laying down your life. 
laying down your life, and uh, then picking up the life of Jesus and living there. That's what the Christian life is. Christian life is not a carnal life. It's not a worldly life. It's not a fashionable life. It's not a society life. That's what's wrong with our churches. We've got so much show going on. All of us, we try to, it, it, it's so easy to be uh, guilty of pride and to show off. And uh, it's a matter of dying out, dying out, dying out uh, to self, and then sitting together with Christ in heavenly places over in Christ Jesus. Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7. This is one of those unusual experiences that Jesus had. Of course, remember this, nothing ever surprised him. Nobody ever got took advantage of him. Nobody ever slipped up on Jesus. He could go to sleep. You know, Jesus is sleeping in the ship one day. And they said, let's just go ahead and, and wake him up, tell him the storm. He knew the storm was on. He knew it was going to come before the clouds ever came. He knew before he ever went to sleep, the storm was coming. He just could he sleep through the storm. Didn't bother him. You see, the one thing the disciples didn't know, in the first place, they didn't have confidence in the Word. I mean, the written Word or the spoken Word. They didn't have confidence in the living Word. They had the spoken Word, and they had the living Word on board. Because Jesus said, let us go over. Well, that's all he needed to say. He didn't say, let us go over if we can. Let us make a desperate effort to go. Brother, when he said, let us go over, we're going over. And after he got through speaking his word, that's enough to get him through the storm. So he went on down went to sleep. And he said, I'm sure they'll be trusting the word because I said we're going over. But instead, the storm came and they looked at the storm and got scared of the storm and lost their confidence in the word of Jesus. And they went down and, and, and they accused him of not caring. We got people like that today. People say, well, I don't know why the Lord permits this to come. Evidently, he doesn't care. People say, well, I believe the Lord's lost my name and address. No, he hadn't. No, he hadn't. He's probably sending your mail to where you ought to be. <laughs> huh? <laughs> See? Yeah, you moved off. And left him, and he sent it over there where you used to be when you was walking to God. Amen? <laughs> Go back over there, bunch, you'll find a heap of packages right there. Your name on them. Ah, uh, listen. I tell you, Paul, this land's filled with backsliders. Just, I'll guarantee you, Corpus Christi is full of people that not what they used to be. Don't pray. Don't win souls. Don't witness. I mean, don't have family devotion. I mean, they're not warm-hearted like they used to be. Doesn't make any difference whether they go to church or miss church anymore. I mean, that's just terrible. I mean, it ought not to be uh, like that. And uh, Jesus was sound asleep down in the ship. And they said, Cast thou not that we perish. We're in a storm. And Jesus got up and rebuked the winds and the waves. And everything stood still. There was a mighty calm at the rebuke of Jesus. Let me ask you something. Are you having a stormy time in your heart tonight? Are you? It is, it, you're in a peaceful place, and yet the storms are raging. Why would you be upset and disturbed? This is the best place you've ever been. You say, you, you, you think, oh, no, I know that. And I tell you something else. This is the best place I've ever been. You know why? Because I'm in the will of God. And I believe it's God's will for every person in this building to be here. Now, why would you let the storm rage when you're in the will of God?
This is the best place you've ever been. You're in training now. You're in training. I mean, you're getting ready to go on the battlefield. And what you get here is going to determine what kind of soldier you're going to be and how you stand when you get out of here. You watch and see. You better get what you can. You better put something in the smokehouse. I mean, you better put something up in the barn. You're going to need it. You're going to need it. You're going to need a reservoir uh, filled with good spiritual things. Well, you know, Jesus went home with the sinner one day, uh, recorded in the seventh chapter, and uh, he, uh, this fellow, I don't know why he wanted Jesus to go home with him in the first place, but uh, in every this he did. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And I realized that in this day, she sure ran the risk of being over-emotional or unbalanced and all the rest. But listen, she stood there and wept. Tears fell upon his blessed feet. And then she dried them with the hairs of her head. Now, when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself. That's a coward talking now. Oh, within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said, Let me pause long enough to say, that ought to thrill his soul. If she was a sinner. Now, I think she had been a sinner. I think she's in better shape than he is now. She was, if she was a sinner, he ought to have been delighted that she came to his house to see the saved. He said, look here, aren't we going to have a good time? Here comes a sinner, and I got the Savior eating with me now. Let's just stop everything we're doing and point her to Jesus. Now, wait a minute. There's another story. This Pharisee, and this is exactly what Pharisees do, they look at the past. They never forgive anybody. Never. A drunkard's always a drunkard. The dopehead's always a dopehead. And you know why? Because the Pharisee or the hypocrite hadn't had anything done for him, and he doesn't think anybody, except he's lived, see, he's lived a pretty decent life. At least I'm not a drunkard. I fast twice a week. I pay my tithes. I'm getting along fine. And he never has had a real experience with the Lord. And so he says, there's no chance for a drunkard. There's no chance. Why, that's a woman of the street. That poor old thing, I've seen her dragging up and down the street, living in sin. And she was a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. Look out. That just don't sound right there. Master? Boy, he said, why call you me master and do not the things, see? I say, say on, just go ahead, talk on, he said. And then Jesus said, that was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed him 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, that's me. That's how poor I was. That's how poor you are as a sinner too. You haven't got one thing to pay. You say, oh, I have talent. Your talent is not worth two cents. You say, I've got a brilliant mind. Yet, you've never thought about Jesus with it if you lost. And when they had nothing to pay, 
He didn't say they had a little down payment. They had to, he frankly forgave them both. All right. Tell me, therefore, Jesus is hemming up this old hypocrite now, isn't he? Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? Simon answered and said, I suppose, yeah, you suppose nothing. I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. That old Pharisee wasn't too humble. He was interested in the head of Jesus, not the feet. He wanted to talk with him. He wanted the prestige of saying, I had the man of Galilee, the miracle worker, and so I had him with me. But listen, he didn't show him the simple, humble, sweet courtesy of getting water for his tired feet. Now, that doesn't mean much to us now because nobody ever walks anywhere. But that's the only way they got there then. And I tell you, your feet were mighty important back in those days. If a man had foot trouble, I mean, it stopped his navigating. There was no car or taxi, and there was no helicopter or airplane. I mean, when his feet broke down on him, uh, he was in bad shape. And usually, when they walked into a man's house, there was a water basin, or there was a big bowl of water and a towel, and his feet were soft and dried, and, and it, was just, it relaxed him, and uh, it just helped him a great. Not Simon, old Pharisee. He said, come on in, sit down. He didn't show him the courtesy. Get him a warm, uh, big basin of water. She washed my feet with tears, wiped them with the hairs of her head, Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil, thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. And you think of the privilege. He missed three blessings there, didn't he? He didn't take care of his feet. He didn't exercise the privilege of love. Think of being permitted place a kiss on the cheek of the Son of God, but he didn't. You know why? i tell you why. He didn't love him. A kiss ought to be an expression of love, and he didn't have enough love. And then he said, My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. I don't know what all that means, except he could have had the privilege and would have been permitted to wash his feet, he would have been permitted to place a kiss or an expression of love on the cheek of Jesus, and then he could have taken some oil and put it on his head and maybe rubbed his head a little bit, you know. Tired because he was human. At least he could have laid his hands on Jesus. He missed his opportunity. That woman didn't come and say, I want to place a kiss on the cheek of Jesus. She was so grateful and evidently had been saved and heard him sometime or other and also heard that he was going to Simon the Pharisee's house and she went up there and I don't think she came and rang the doorbell or knocked on the door. 
I think she knew better. She said, I've got to get in. I just opened the door. I'm heading for Jesus. You know, you have to get pretty bold sometimes to get to Jesus. I think about those uh, four fellows, you know, that got that neighbor of theirs, you know, and picked him up and hauled him down there and couldn't get in for the press. They said, this won't stop us. We're going on the rooftop. That's one of those summit meetings I've been intending to preach on. Amen? They got up on top of that house. And they tore off part of the roof. You ever heard, you've heard people say, man, he tore the roof off. Well, they tore the roof off. And uh, they dropped him right down. I mean, they probably had a rope or something on each corner of the cot. The old crippled man uh, dropped down in the presence of Jesus. You think Jesus looked up and said, hey, you fellows don't have much respect for another man's property, do you? He didn't think about the rooftop. He thought about the man coming through the roof. Amen. He said, look, he's coming on. <laughs> Isn't that faith for you? Ah, it's great. I tell you, Jesus always leads people to do the unusual. I hope I never am in another usual service. Business is usual. No, that's not going to ever get. God's people have always been an unusual people. And he said, My head with all thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Now then, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Right now, they are She had a lot of sins, but uh, they are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. The woman came expressed great love, broke the alabaster box, shed the tears, dried the feet, forgot about uh, what Simon thought about her. Bold as a lion, she came to prove her gratitude to Jesus. Let's look at it again. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. All right, I'm thinking about love, great love, and much love. How much do you love Jesus tonight? Let's turn to John 3, 16. There's another kind of love, and this is it right here. John 3. John 3. For God so loved. You got any soul love? That'll work every time. God so loved. Anytime you so love, you'll do what he did. He gave. God so loved the world that he gave. We need a whole bunch of that so love tonight. God so loved. We need a so love and a now faith. And that'll get all the job done. If we have a so love and a now faith, we'll go to work right now for God. I get so sick and tired of people that they just, nah, they aim a lot, but they never shoot. You know, we lived on the farm, and uh, I don't know why I had to say that. Everybody knows it. But Melvin and I, we didn't have a shotgun, no shotgun shells and gun. We, we just didn't have anything like that. And uh, after Melvin and I were grown and uh, I'd moved away, and I don't know, Melvin and I got together one day, 
and went hunting. We went dove hunting. And uh, the doves were coming in to the tank late in the evening. And uh, I, I never had shot much, but I, I'd, I'd learned to shoot better than Melvin. Melvin was always real diligent, real busy, real efficient, real smart, valedictorian of his class, graduated with honors, and brilliant and all that. And he just didn't ever have time for a lot of stuff. And, of course, I liked, you know, so I liked Esau. I wanted to be out there shooting at something. And, uh, and a lot of flesh in me, too. But anyhow, I just always wanted to be outside. But Melvin came, and I said, Melvin, let's go hunting. I know where they are. They come in as thick as they can be about sundown, a little before sundown. And so I borrowed him a shotgun. I think I had to borrow me one, too. But anyhow, we got out there, and uh, they began to come in. And old Melvin stand. He never had, he hadn't shot anything. And he'd, he'd, he'd follow him like that. He'd come all the way around with him, all the way around. And he, he'd never shoot. And he'd turn back around, and here comes some more. And he'd come. He, I, he, he's aiming, see? And he, I guarantee you, I said, Melvin, quit aiming and shoot. Now we'll forget that. And, and finally, he started shooting, you know. And a lot of people, they're spending their time just aiming. Just aim it. They follow the enemy right on around. They say, no, I won't shoot yet. I, so they go back around. That's the trouble with most of us. Listen, some of you don't even have an aim. Some of you have never aimed at anything. And I'll guarantee you, you you're gonna, if you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it. That's just about what a lot of you are aiming at nothing, and you'll hit it right in the middle. But what have you got when you shoot it? Thank you for joining us today on the Family Altar Program with Lester Roloff. You may listen to the preaching and the special music of the Family Altar Program 24 hours a day when you visit our ministry website, roloff.org. We love hearing from our listeners. If this broadcast has been a blessing to you, please write to us at Roloff Evangelistic Enterprises, P.O. Box 100, Fort Thomas, Arizona, 85536. Again, that's Roloff Evangelistic Enterprises, P.O. Box 100, Fort Thomas, Arizona, 85536. This broadcast is made possible by the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. Thank you for partnering with us, and remember that Christ is the answer.